Discord. See, Mitch, when you asked him about Apex here, my mind went to like you know hair that is at the top of the, the top of the food chain. Oh, like, like an, a, a, apex, apex predator, predator. Yeah. an apex yeah. bunny. That's where I went. Like, his hair is apex. <laughs> Bugs bunny, style. the apex predator. That's right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So Mitch, the, the Mike knew this friend of mine named Courtney who had moved with me from Texas to mm-hmm. New Mexico, and then again at another time moved to Arizona. We had a very very long friendship, and I used to call her CT. And one day after she moved to Arizona and heard somebody call me. Charlie, she was like, she goes, Charlie, Chuck, Charles, I don't even know who the fuck you are anymore. And she goes, I'm just going to call you Triple C. All and right. I was like, that works. And then it just kind of stuck. So I do like the fact that you identify with uh, a name that kind of originates where you think you found yourself. Like, I think that's really interesting. That's. That's how it happened, though. I mean, like in all cases, I didn't ask for any of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole point. Like my dad named me. Uh, I, oh. My dad was big. Ch- my dad, my dad's big Chuck, and mm-hmm. they were calling me Little Chuck, so Chucky. Yeah. And that was what I was to the family. And then I moved, and for some reason, they wanted to call me Charles in New Mexico. And I didn't. It was really matter of fact. Like uh, I went in for a job interview. The guy looked at my application or resume and said, "Can I call you Charles?" And I was like, "Sure." And then that's that's it. Hmm. And that's kind of how it happened when I got to Arizona. I went to go and apply for, I think it was American Eagle. And uh, uh, they were basically like, can I call you Charlie? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then that just kind of stuck. You know, that really fits me the best, I think. But it's weird because if somebody here calls me Charlie, I'm like, what? And then if Brooke calls <laughs> me Chuck, I'm like, the fuck did you just call me? I get really like weirded out by that whole idea. Were you always Arvig? Arvig? Like in high school? Um, or were you Mike? Were you Michael? You know, I honestly don't remember. I think I went by, I think I went by all three actually. Arvig. Yeah. Uh, Mike. Well, yeah, I, at some points I went by Mike. Um, I had a friend of mine whose last name is Ike. So people used to call us Mike and Ike. And then, uh, you know, I had other people who just call me Arvig. I don't know. I really don't know where it. Uh, I can't wait started. to hear that story in twenty years when he's like. In my in my head, in my head, you, know, you talk like about your like... inner monologue, like you know, in my head, I always refer to myself as Arvig. You know, I but I can't get a, I can't get Amanda to call me Arvig. <laughs> You're like Arvig really likes these chips. Arvig's right. Can't have to get more. <laughs> like Arvig thinks these That'll chips are it. delicious. <laughs> Arvig is glad he bought these chips. Arvig, Arvig is not sharing with Charlie. <laughs> I don't remember. You mean Ar- Arvig grows annoyed with Charles? Or Chuck. Chuck. Oh, don't say it. That's hard for me. (laughs) Thanks, dude. Um, All right. Welcome back to Ruminations from the Red Room. I'm your morose host, Mitch Proctor, and here to hold my hand and pat my knee and wipe away my tears are Mike and Charlie. Hey, guys. How's it going? How's it going? Hi. (laughs) Welcome back. Uh, Glad to be back. (laughs) We had a lot of fun on the last episode, guys. It was really cool. So here we go. We're going to do the next chapter in uh, Mr. Tom Reynolds' book um, uh, and continue our rumination on the sad songs. So just to catch you up, listeners, if you missed episode one, what we're basically doing is using Tom Reynolds' book, I Hate Myself and Want to Die, as a jumping off point. Uh, as he lists 52 of what he dubs the most depressing songs of all time. Um, So this chapter that we're about to tackle (laughs) bears the same name as the book, 
I Hate Myself and Want to Die. Uh, first off, by way of acknowledgement of this title, I Hate Myself, I Want to Die. First of all, I want to say that I love the title. I loved it when I first heard the Nirvana song, which brings me to my little factoids here. Uh, it was recorded in 1993. You guys were familiar that it was a Nirvana song, correct? Actually, of I missed that. Oh, yeah. So it was a Nirvana song that was uh, featured on uh, side one, track one of the Beavis and Butthead experience. It was the first song on the album. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it was recorded in 1993, but never played live. Didn't make the cut for their third album, which was In Utero, which was to be their final album. Cobain said that it was too noise. No, he said that there were too many noise songs on the album. So he cut that one from release. It was originally going to be on a single um, and was originally going to be the title of the whole album because I guess he liked the title so much. So he, he also thought that it was, he kept saying that it was a joke, it was, that it was this funny joke and no one else was going to get it. So they had to change it to avoid any kind of lawsuits or anything. And to, to be noted that there are no words in the song, no lyrics that in any way really reference suicide or depression. It's pretty much a nonsense song. I thought that was kind gotcha. of interesting. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is is we know a lot about the singer. About after the you fact. Know, like, yeah, after the fact, right? And so it's – it's because, uh, I mean, look, people make non-sequitur songs that are odd. I mean, Beck does it. David yeah. Byrne does it. It's just they have a quirky-sounding kind of tune around it. You put some anger and some uh, depression in there, and, and then you name a song. Like if David Byrne had a song called I Hate Myself and Want to Die <laughs> – you know it's going to sound kind of plucky, yeah. and you're going to, you know, whisk away to something. You get it from Kurt Cobain, you're going to be like, I think he might be serious. Well, yeah, someone should talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Is he okay? He might, right. he might mean this. Well, we're not going to get into that conspiracy, too, about Cobain. But, oh, Mike, come uh, on. Roll your eyes at me. <laughs> well, I, I didn't say anything. I don't know anything about any conspiracies. I wasn't involved. <laughs> So, a great title for an album. Uh, it happens to be the title of Mr. Reynolds' book. And this chapter, the second chapter in the book, I Hate Myself, Want to Die, compiles, I Hate Myself and Want to Die, compiles songs that he says, quote, <clears throat> are under the delusion that his or her personal problems are of great interest to anyone, end quote. <laughs> you know, I, I listened to all, all of these songs and the one thing that I thought they kind of had in common, and that was why I was curious about the title of the chapter and everything, was not so much that they were about, like, you know, people's problems. It was really more like people's problems with love until <laughs> you get to the final song, which almost doesn't feel like, to me, anyway, that it fits in with the other four. Okay. I get you. I see what you're saying there. Uh, yeah. I I understand his point because each of the songs definitely has a bit of self-pitying, wallowy tonality uh, lyrically musically mm -hmm. some of the earlier tracks particularly the carpenters track and uh, the car track have a, kind of an almost upbeat and then the uh i think it's at 17 has got like this bossa nova e beat so some of the music doesn't even reflect the lyrics but actually i really enjoyed that 17 song did you? like i've listened to that a few times and i started looking into the artist herself uh -huh. which i guess we can talk about once we get to the song yeah it's but uh i think it was the um it's got to be him was the one that was more of a bossa novi boss. Was it? How do you say that? Bossa nova e. Bossa nova. Uh, well, I think I made that word up, but bossa nova, and I called it bossa nova e. Right. right. Uh, 
because she's the one if i remember right i read about she had done some music with like a spanish band or something either prior to or right at, shortly after her career like as a solo artist or something or some somehow she had been involved with like some kind of a spanish band really and i'm like well i could kind of hear her singing like in, in another country and like with with some band that has its roots based in you know that type of music and stuff cool well yeah so, we'll definitely get to that that sounds like you you uncovered a little bit more than i did uh what well, the i carpenter song made me want to die made you want to die. i hate you and i want you to die that, that's an yes and so you made me listen to a carpenter song thank you very much mitch you're very welcome i everyone should i think they don't get their due but what i wanted to add to his kind of a uh, little bit harsh estimation of these songs was that I, I disagree a little bit with his idea that they're under the delusion that anyone that anyone wants to hear their pain or that what was it again the quote is under the delusion that his or her personal problems are of great interest to anyone i think the idea of art the idea of writing a sad song is that you do think that maybe your problems might be of interest to someone that maybe there's a stranger out there who's feeling those same things. I think we touched on this in the previous episode. So for him to chastise or criticize artists for being a little self-pitying, a little self-wallowy seems to me to be the antithesis of what art is. I mean, all artists have to be a little bit egocentric. Otherwise, why do they create art? You know, it's, it's to exercise demons. It's to share something of themselves with others who might be hurting. Everyone has their different uh, motivations for their art. But I think that his, he was a little harsh in that phrasing, particularly saying delusional. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's other ways to interpret that statement that are frustrating too. Uh, I think it makes the presumption that they are, like, I'm not convinced that, um, I said, I'm backtracking. If you look at 10 artists, I would be, it'd be really hard to get me to say that a majority of them were egocentric and that was the drive behind them creating music. I think at the point where you're making recordings, I'm just going to go on a land here. They did, they're not producing these things in a vacuum. There's clearly interest in whatever they're doing enough to give them an opportunity to make something that's going to be heard by masses enough that it's more like fishing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of cases where the artist is sort of indifferent, you know, they're, they're creating something they love. They're creating something that they're reaching out to other people like them or just delivering a message in general. Like there's maybe it's just pure expression in some cases, and whether people accept it, reject it, use it as an anthem. Like I'm not like I almost take I think, the impetus I take the impetus of his statement to be one of a bit of envy. As okay. opposed to as opposed to making like a, a clinical judgment on them having uh, you know, this delusion that like I need I need them to know that's why I'm making this song. I think that's that's trying to make them look bad. You know, I think it's I more he didn't, you know, he, there's something about it. He's upset with. I think opinion. that maybe even when, what I said might've been, I may have misspoke just a little when I said egocentric and, and only coming from as someone who's written songs to be performed live myself. Um, what I mean to say really is that when you write something, and if you intend to perform it live, if you were with a band and you're writing music, 
you have to in some small way, whether it's like, I agree with you that a lot of art is out there. It's like with a certain amount of disregard for how it's going to be received. I think you're right. But I would write it. You have to have a little bit of an ego of some kind to want to share it because like what I struggled with myself writing songs was why do I think what I have to say needs to be heard by anybody? Why do I think the way I'm going to say my heart was broken is going to be different than the way it's been said a million other times, but I had to be at least a little bit confident in myself. Otherwise I wouldn't have put it out there and performed it live on a stage. Otherwise I would just play it for myself in my room. Does that, does that make sense? I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I think, I think the only place I give, paused and t- tangled up is the word ego sure I, and that may be my my um mistake in associating that negatively and mm-hmm. i don't think it's a negative thing like I, like you're saying i think you have to have some confidence you have to but i think a lot of artists almost at least musicians that i am really fond of that invoke emotional music anger sadness loss uh those kinds of things, right? I, I think a lot of times they just there's there's an intuition that you know that you're part of the you're human. We're all human, and a lot of us we've talked about this in other casts that people are bad at expressing those complex emotions. And maybe you have a you know that you're feeling something. You know other people feel it too, and you know that not everybody can express it like you can. I think that kind of confidence, that that ego to know that you're on to something is mm. different than than necessarily the ego that you might be describing. Or myself up, up ego. Yeah, like well, like uh, I mean like the I'm definition the of egocentric. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, you know, see that's the definition of egocentric right there is that you think only of yourself and without uh regard or feeling for other people. Where I think more like artists not so much are egocentric, but like you said, uh, Charlie, some of they may like haven't, they, they're probably some like that, but that they have a, a little bit of an ego in that they try to put some of themselves into their art. And mm-hmm. I think they have to do that. You know, I think there has to be something there that's relatable. Um, I know in the case of like, uh, you know, like I said, I was looking up Janice Ian a little bit just cause I was curious about her. I liked the song. Sure. So I started looking some things up and it, from what I read, uh, this, uh, thing I read basically broke down, I guess her career in three parts, one being when she was like only 14 years old, Mm -hmm. she wrote a song, got recorded. uh, It was called, uh, what was it? Society's child. I think like something Mm -hmm. like that. And it was, it was about, yeah, it was about um, what is uh, a white girl and a a black man or a white Mm -hmm. boy, black boy uh, having a relationship in like the 1960s, you know, when that kind of thing was frowned upon. And, she doesn't write it about herself per se, but she writes it in that perspective as though it was she the one in that relationship. But then what I read it said that her second, I don't know if you call it like her second uh, part of her career, I suppose, was this one of the songs was this song we're going to talk about tonight at 17 was more autobiographical. Um, and it said that during her second phase of her career, that most of the songs on her album seemed to be more autobiographical. Mm-hmm. so maybe that's what we're talking about is autobiography. i'm really glad that we're having this conversation because honestly as as 
I have gone through life and I've written things and I've tried to express myself in different ways. Even this podcast, let's be honest, is a, is a, is a means to self-expression because I think that the people I know have really great and interesting things to say. I feel in some way that I want to say something about different topics. I, even this, I felt like I wanted to talk about these sad songs. So, I mean, you're right, egotistical. I completely misspoke and used the word incorrectly. But I, I just mean that no matter, I, I don't know, what, as an artist, if you want to express and you want to put it out there, there, there has to be some amount of, I just think that his comment is just, is off base, maybe. Uh, and I just, well, it, I, I felt, it, I felt I kind of personally attacked because if I want to tell you about how I'm hurting, that's not because I'm um, under some delusion that my problems are of interest to you. It's because I feel I'm like saying. it's worth sharing. I feel it's worth sharing. I think- I, I think I got what you were trying to illustrate there, and I agree with you. I think that the the remark is intended as a slight. It's not. It's not intended as a real. I don't think it's a serious um, analysis of. Well, isn't the author going for a laugh? I think a lot of times he is, and especially in this this chapter, particularly. Just bad humor, just bad timing, bad, bad. <laughs> I mean, it happens, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to try to assassinate the guy's character because he made a mistake. No, no, but no. It, it, the statement itself, like, I think it's meant as a maybe a funny slight. Maybe he was intending to be funny. But I think it doesn't he was. really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me either. I don't, I don't really see it. And and I get where it might his attempt to be funny might be is that. If you're writing that kind of music, then you're clearly to try to, you know, denote someone that's singing a depressed, rageful song, mm-hmm. and you know the the impetus for that song and putting it out was an ego of of self gratification, you know, in that individual is a little bit of a juxtaposition. But yeah. hey, man, you're not good at writing those kinds of jokes. Maybe <laughs> you should just steer clear. Well, just like Ellis. <laughs> Not his, a funny guy. <laughs> his estimations of each of these songs that we're about to go over, his breakdown and his discussion of the songs are laden with that similar kind of humor. And I think the entire book is supposed to be taken that way. And that's why, uh, for our listeners, again, like if you missed the first episode, I will just, for sake of clarity, when I picked up the book, I thought it was going to be more of a philosophical dive into sad songs. And the cover is is comedic. I should have picked up on it more quickly. His breakdown, they are he does take a lot of jabs, makes a lot of funny comments. I think though that they might be misplaced, like Charlie's saying, the humor might be just like a little bit mistimed because underneath that, like just beneath the surface, I feel that he actually does really appreciate that the artists are trying to express something and I think that this is another musician who's who's kind of looking at it in a kind of self-deprecating way, recognizing the the, the, yeah, the, like, the, the, the comedy. Yeah, I'm not good enough. I, I, make <laughs> I didn't I make those make songs, so I'm going to tear them apart. So I'm going to write. I'm going to write a book and do low-grade humor. I don't uh, think yeah, it was it. written with a bitter intent. I think it was more written with a. a Kind of oh, so you're suggesting it's revealing of something he didn't <laughs> I think intend to expose. Maybe, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Mean to show us he was a dick. <laughs> he did it accidentally. I think that's brilliant. I like. It. <laughs> so let's uh, look at the songs that we're going to be talking about, and then we'll uh, go ahead and jump into them. And uh, the first song, "Goodbye to Love," 1972, The Carpenters, so that you folks out there can get your 
playlist put together and listen along when we cover each song. Goodbye to Love, 1972, The Carpenters. Second song, At 17, 1974, Janice Ian. Our third track that we'll be looking at is My Immortal, 2003, Evanescence. The fourth track, It Must Be Him, 1967, Vicky Carr. And then jumping forward in time from 1967 to 1989, one by Metallica. Wow. That's the one that I don't think fits in this list. I think it fits perfectly. I think he nailed it. I, Do will, you? I think he nailed I don't it. Know. I think he nailed it. No, no, I'm not saying it doesn't fit on, <laughs> on a list. I'm just saying with these <laughs> other four songs, I just don't know that this one is quite in the same vein. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to count down to play each of these songs. We'll go ahead and take a break at each one so that you can queue up your song, listen to it, and then jump back into the podcast and join us uh, where we're we're reviewing the song and talking about what it means to us and what we hear. If you have a computer, you can listen on one of those devices and listen to the podcast on the other. You can borrow your wife's phone after you (laughs) find her drink with a mild sedative. She won't notice. And you'll be able to get away with it. Two phones makes it all easy. Tell him, Mike. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. The 1972 hit Goodbye to Love from the Carpenters. Queuing up in three, two, one, go. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and fade it out because I think that's the end. Really yeah, thank God. thank God. Seriously, dude, that is such a tough song to listen to. It's okay. So we're going to punch back in. Go ahead, Mike. What did you just say? I just said that's a tough song to listen to. I just wanted to say goodbye to the song. <laughs> it, I, I, oh my gosh. I can't stand it. It hurts so bad. It feels now I really, like now I really do hate myself <laughs> over the end credits of an old Benji movie. Oh my God. <laughs> I think but... it's. The, <laughs> Execution, yeah. It definitely leaves a lot to be desired, but the lyrics are some of the saddest, most remorsefully remorse is the wrong word. It's full of what he's talking about, that self pity, that I am so miserable and sad, don't you want to hear how sad I am? Lyrics. Like right off the bat. Well, and But it's talking about love. Like love is the whole reason why why <laughs> she wants to die, because no one ever cared if she lived or died. The time for love, the chance for love has passed me by. I mean, <laughs> all of the uh, years of useless search have finally reached an end. So either this person is at the end of their life, or they've got they're the, checking out, or they're checking out. They've got the noose around their neck, whatever. It's just really, really sad and sadder knowing, you know, her end. You know, is mm-hmm. not positive. So it, you have to wonder, like in this instance, was the artist like really feeling these things and just smiling through it? Yeah. Uh, according to her brother, it was her favorite song. Seriously? Yes, that was her favorite uh, song of theirs. That speaks volumes uh, about terrible. the agony that she must have actually been in. Um, it may be true. I mean, she suffered from what? Was it uh, anorexia nervosa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was Which having a hard time. What, why she died? She mm-hmm. said goodbye yeah. to food. She said goodbye to food? Maybe that's what she substituted for love. Was she was really saying goodbye to food, but she put love in there. <laughs> the, the food was added in the rewrite. Oh the whole song God. originally was I say goodbye to food. That's right. 
<laughs> I say goodbye to burgers. I say goodbye no. to ribs. So here's my issue. Here's my issue with the song. Okay. I and and I don't understand the context of these sounds together with the lyrics because of the era they were in. It's not my era. Um, it just the melody does not fit the words. Like the words, it almost feels like. It should be a happy song, is what it feels. It feels like, like a it sneaky feels, move. Like it go on, Charlie. It feels counterfeit. I, it, okay. It, yeah, because I, 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 I mean, look, I, I'm not speaking to whether it's true or not. I'm just talking gut instinct here. When I hear that song with that musical score set up and with the way that that melody and tune carries on, I can't help but feel like that's a producer going, "I got a great idea." You know who doesn't get songs written about them? really distraught, lonely, ugly fucking people. And I think you can write a song about it. She's like, you know, I think I can do it, right? She writes this song, and that was the best way she could produce. She did it all. It's all in the lyrics. You have to listen to the words to get the sadness. Mm. The sadness well, you have to listen. You got to hear the words to get the, the sadness. sadness is in the, the drums and the music. There's no sadness there. It's almost like You know what's sad now. is that like how like parents groups and whatever were accusing like Ozzy Osbourne and right? all these other groups of like corrupting the youth and, you know, making them commit these deeds and these acts. And seriously, this song makes me want to just go out and slit my wrist with the rusty razor blade, and do pushups in a bathtub full of alcohol. <laughs> That's right. Children. We want you to make sure to never do what Arvig does. That's what that was. That's, don't listen to what he says as, as yes, something to Yes. Do, do not use a rusty razor blade. No. Yeah. No. Uh, I, I here's here's I, my th- my thought sure, real on like the it possibility. Like a, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Uh, well, here's the, my other possibility. I understand what you're saying there, but she wrote those. This was a woman who was attractive, who was young, a millionaire. You know, in her early twenties, there definitely there was some thoughts going on behind the smiles, and for something to get airplay at that time you probably couldn't have written music that would have reflected those lyrics. Like you're saying the music doesn't fit and it feels counterfeit. I to agree. Me, you know, I, and I agree, era. but I think yeah, that it's probably because you couldn't have written the, I could rewrite music for those know. lyrics and it would not sound like that. What did Johnny Cash was <laughs> writing like, uh, he shot a man in Reno. Yeah. I mean, like, autobiographical. Yeah, I mean, he was talking about killing a man just to watch him die. You know, it's okay, like okay, okay. There's, there's there's some semblance of that. I don't know if he, I don't know if a woman could have done that in that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I looked up some that, information but... on the Carpenters, mm-hmm. and one of the things I saw said that at the time this came out, like there were a lot of more what they considered pop songs and stuff, and this wasn't considered a pop song, and this still was hugely popular in like a, like a juxtaposition against what was predominating with airwaves at that time. Almost country. Mm-hmm. It's almost got a, like a bluegrass feel to almost, it. Uh, country, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it was. I just hate the guitar in that. And yeah, then, can we talk about I, that I guitar? Like, I don't like oh. setup. Yes, don't like Mitch, what makes that terrible sound? How can you make a guitar sound that horrid? Like, please, do you, please, a guitar sound do you know bad? how to do that? 
you know, the great thing about playing guitar is to be able to make the good sounds, you have to know how the bad sounds happen so that you don't make them. And I would never make those sounds. (laughs) (laughs) When I first heard that solo, oh, how I cringed. Oh, it's so Uh, bad. It's so bad. It hurt my ears. With women. He knows, like, the intonations and sounds are bad. You know, you got to know the bad ones before you can get the good ones. And it comes out of nowhere, you know, what is really kind of a pleasant, soft-sounding song. It's almost orchestral. It almost sounds like a score. Like Charlie was saying, it sounds like the the credits of something. And then that guitar solo comes out of nowhere. and It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Oh, the tone is awful. It's like they got a distortion pedal from... If you take the music separate from the lyrics, (laughs) if you separated lyrics out of that song, Mm -hmm. it sounds like a love song. It sounds like a ballad. It sounds like a country love song. It sounds very basic. It doesn't fit this. Green fields, uh, blue skies. Yeah, it it doesn't sound sad. Yeah. Everything about the sadness in that song is in the lyrics. So maybe that makes it even more sad. Like when you're smiling through the pain, maybe there's a school of thought that might say say that's even more sad that she had to put on this happy face and she's out there parading around this image of am radio carpenters but really underneath it there are lyrics like that maybe does anybody know did she ever marry or did she ever have anybody in her life besides her brother i don't know i don't know doesn't sound like it well if if these lyrics are autobiographical and i'm not saying they are but if they are, I mean, you know, they say, so I've made my mind up. I must live my life alone. Mm-hmm. And though it's not the easy way, I guess I've always known I'd say goodbye to love. Like, I wonder if this might have something to do with like, you know, where she was at with her in her battle with her disease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if she I realizes you're going to go being... in a really twisted direction, I'm surprised. No, okay. I'm just, I'm just saying like, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about the psychology of uh, this disease and how it how it plays on on people's mm-hmm. minds, but especially back then, uh, you know, she probably didn't have quite the help that like young ladies can get nowadays. And and it wouldn't she have might been have felt all alone. Acceptable, like it would have been. It was at a time when that getting that kind of help would have been stigmatized quite a lot uh, as well. Oh, more so than today. Yes, yes, definitely. So you can appreciate the sadness of looking back, maybe. Unless mm-hmm. you, what's the love that she's saying goodbye to? Not not having any at all. So I think she's saying goodbye to the idea of even having love in her life. She's that, I agree with that assessment. Yeah. What if what if it's indicative? You don't think that there's anything else that could have been driving? Like maybe she had somebody she was in love with she could never be with. Maybe she got rejected by somebody thing. because of the fact that they couldn't couldn't cope with her uh, her mental health issues. Well, that I'm third just line that might be a, that might be a possibility. She says, "Time and time again, the chance for love has passed me by." So, when you say that it's passed you by, was it there for the taking? Did she decline it? Did she reject it? Uh, was she was, was she rejected? Was she rejected? But time and time again, so she feels like this is a, rep- a repeated occurrence. This is a pattern in her life, so much so that well, at the end, go ahead. I was just going to say, later on, it does say, say uh, something about all the years of useless search. Uh-huh, yeah. Like, basically, she's just given up. She's like, I've done this. I've been looking for so long. It's just, I'm done. I finally, I have finally reached an end. Mm-hmm. Someone passed the bottle. Yeah, so let's make a polka out of it so it can really embrace <laughs> the angry and the violence. 
Yeah, it's just a weird song, and I didn't like it at all. I guess it's not, it's not my taste. It's not my taste. No, no, definitely not. Next. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Next. (laughs) Next is a track called At 17, 1974, Janice Ian. And we're going to be rocking that track in three. Hang on. Now, remember, boys and girls, this is your opportunity to set up your track to listen along. Listen to Uncle Charlie, folks. He's guiding you right. Set up your track, listen along, and... Creepy Uncle Uncle Charlie? (laughs) It doesn't have to be creepy Uncle Charlie. Get ready, because it's coming at you. That fourth C coming. Creepy Charlie Chuck Charles. (laughs) Three, two, one, play. I mean, I can't remember what it was like when I was a 17-year-old girl, but... Charlie remembers. I don't remember. When He remembers when I was a 17-year-old girl? No, when he was a 17-year-old girl. Okay. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I actually like that song. I like it, too. I, I think it. it's got something to say. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, again, I kind of feel similarly. Like I, <laughs> I, I think it's better coordinated, but I almost... I have a hard time not feeling like that's a producer or that's a you uh, want you want the ripped off guitar (laughs) i just think the executive is in that tune going we need you know you know what sells sad fucking songs from the (laughs) uggos from the uggos is that really what you just said i'm being you know i'm amping up for humor but (laughs) that's what it it just feels like she's so specifically talking about a shut-in, a misunderstood person. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not no problem with that. I mean, all love music like that. But it's just this small town girl doesn't get picked for kickball. And, and <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Like yeah, she, she doesn't get she to go sings to the a song like she's dance. Like she's small town. But from what I read, like I think at one point she was living in New York City. Yeah. Um, when she was a child, I think she thinks small town is life. I don't well, think she's not necessarily anything. wrong there. No, like you I'm know, not she's, not she's wrong. She must have seen the proper movie, or or went and like did some character study for a week and was like, "Wow, yeah. this is what this girl's thinking of." I think she's trying to champion the the forgotten and the tread upon and things, but at the same time, she kind of sounds like she's also envious. Maybe, maybe that's the the dichotomy that. I think it's stolen valor. I think she is trying to champion, but she considers herself one of those who won the game. It probably wasn't. Oh, like, I, I, mm. I'm going to speak for the small people who were jealous of me <clears throat> getting picked first for the basketball team. That's I don't what... know. I mean, from what, like I said, what I read beforehand about her said that this, this particular era of her career was like more considered autobiographical. Interesting. Like she was writing about like herself. Well, you seem like you um, did have some background on her. She got her start. I mean, she got a she hit at fifteen years yeah, old, at, right? Yeah, fourteen, fifteen. She had a, a song called "Society's a Society's Child," I think, mm-hmm. and then that was about an interracial couple. And, and especially at that time, she wrote this song. This one, she was like Mitch said, she was in her twenties. This was like her, so her second did, part of her career or something. So, yeah, so she's in a musical career, right? For, um, for for how for eight years. I, I guess I I don't know I don't know so, where so I didn't really see where things went so from the first album. She, when she was seventeen. When she was seventeen, I think at that time, if I remember, she from has what a, I read, hit, a hit song, 
at 17. She, well, so I don't know if she had a hit song because that society's child, well, they wouldn't she release it wasn't at first. For the fucking country basketball team and jealous maybe. of the people. Who were, maybe, I guess so, but it maybe. seems unlikely. Her, her dad was like a music teacher or something, and her mom like was in charge of school fundraisers or something like that. I read something about her family owned a camp, like a music camp for a while or something mm-hmm. like that. And then uh, because her parents were political activists or something, they got investigated by the FBI. Um, and I wow. guess their camp was investigated by really? the FBI or something. Yeah. Wow. And this is, keep in mind, this is back in the 60s mm-hmm. when I guess people were worried about like, you know, more like communism, commie threats and, and whatnot. And Can you think that so maybe they, she's writing about being of an alternate, like a, a, you know, like they treat somebody who's a gypsy or they treat somebody who they think is um, different. Mm-hmm. You know, like her parents are these activists and She's if she did have if they were activists in a small town, I'm sure she you know she she may have had some of those leanings. I mean, like I said, her first song, which she actually wrote, was uh, Society's Child, and that was I listened to that song too. And that was about an about interracial, interracial relationship, couple. right? That was about an interracial relationship, and it even goes so far as to talk about like when the boy came to the to her house, and she apologizes for the way her mother acted, and her mother called him boy. And mm. not by his first name. It even says that in the song. Wow. Like it was, it was kind of interesting. And like for someone that young, you know, and in that song in particular, it said something about like, maybe in the future things will change, you know? And, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of, <laughs> kind of interesting wow. for someone that young to be thinking about like, you know, uh, politics and, and, you know, but that's kind of kind of the era she was. Yeah, well, there's a little in, bit right? of like wouldn't 65. You, like, you love to be the monster who goes back in time from now. And somebody's like, I hope it changes someday. And you're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no it does not. I know. It's, look, you're going to have the coolest phone you can imagine, but that shit's never going to change. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it's, it's, um, I respond better to things that aren't alluding to a third person. Mm-hmm. when it's talking about loss and pain sure like right it's it's, a, it's hard for me to to take that person as having been present as opposed to like like that's why i say she's the one who is one of the ones that that won the game you know is that mm-hmm. she's more trying her best to empathize with what she sees you know what she imagines it's like i don't really think it happened to her the way she sings it and it's certainly interesting because she's singing, she's singing at 17, she realized these things, but she's already in her early 20s. So that's already, she's trying to recall. So again, this is why I say this is hard for me not to hear like a yeah. producer saying, our core demographic is a 17-year-old girl in a poodle skirt. Who are you going to sing to? All right, and go. like, okay, yeah. And she's like, oh, you're right. I got to want to stay with the hits. <laughs> Although I will, I just want to point out one other youngster that had been accused. I actually can think of two that were accused of singing songs beyond their time, beyond their wisdom. Uh, Fiona Apple, and I hate myself for forgetting his name right now. um, He's got a a last name I can't pronounce. Don't say Justin Bieber. (laughs) Justin, not Bieber, the lead singer for Live. Their first album tackled some really heavy stuff, and he, Mm. he was criticized pretty heavily for his youth at the time of the recording and the writing of the album and saying, you, how do you, how can you speak to these things? You're young. When you're young, that idealism view sometimes does, does kind of 
rise up and they may not have had the worldly wisdom well that was the second album but uh yeah same band yeah that first album though has definitely got some political leanings and trying to message pretty heavily it's pretty heavy-handed when you listen to it why did he cut his hair why did he cut his hair if he had never cut his hair they'd still be they'd be the foo fighters but he cut his hair and lost all his powers I can attest to that. Don't cut your hair, guys. If you uh, you will lose all you will lose all your powers. Look at Arvig here, for example. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sexy. (laughs) Well, I'll know this much. Looking at your haircut, I can tell you can't sing for shit. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how the recording industry works, boys and girls. That works. All right, our next track from uh, night. I'm sorry, 2003, My Immortal from Evanescence. Any comments before we get that track underway? I just love uh, it. I think efflorescence is really difficult to get off a of travertine tile. And with that, <laughs> boys and girls, cue up your tracks and get ready to rock with some Evanescence, who I believe in their debut album were voted most, like, hottest new band, best new artist with Grammy. <laughs> I think that's what the, stopped most. I believe they were just voted most. They were voted most <laughs> in 2003. And now we're going to play their track, My Immortal, in three, two, one. Join us on the flip. Wow. That's just a great song. All right. Coming back at you, commenting on My Immortal. What do you think, guys? I love the song. Absolutely love the song ever mm-hmm. since it came out. I really um, respect that I always, you love that song. Well, I always like I always thought it was like a like a heartbreak song, uh-huh. which is like I said with these other ones, they, it almost feels like they're all heartbreak songs, and that's why they want to die. Or <laughs> yeah. because you know, I guess love is hard and heartbreak is terrible. And why go on if you've got heartbreak? I don't know. The one the the uh, reason for me that this song doesn't fit with the others particularly is I don't really hear that I hate myself and want to die in this. I just hear right. the heartbreak. I just hear the loss and no self-loathing, no self-pity, no, like, this is why I'm alone. Right. No, that's a good point. Like, in, in the Carpenter song, definitely mm-hmm. there's some self-pity. Uh, at 17, there's definitely some self-pity. One of the other songs we're going to talk about. Um it must be him. I know there's a bunch of self pity in that one. Like it just sounds like. Well, I mean, we'll have to. We'll get, to get that, ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, in this one, it seems more like they're. You can either interpret it, I think, one of two ways. Like either they've lost somebody to you know who has died, mm-hmm. or they have gone through a really emotional heartbreak. Uh, you know, with a, a relationship that has ended over all these years or something, and then they're just kind of haunt. You know, quote unquote, haunted by the ghosts of their paramour. Yeah. Their former lover. Well, this, yeah. Go but, ahead. Go ahead. Bitch, no, no, please, please. I, I just, some songs are really more easily digested by me or understood by me. If you break them down to their simple part of what the meaning is behind or the, the drive behind it. I think that song is entirely about loss. And kind of along the lines of what I was saying earlier, whereas with other songs, I feel like there's somebody saying, we need this kind of song almost. This one felt more like genuine 
even if it was she was singing somebody else's words or not, she's singing about loss in a way that there's an ethereal quality to the way that the lyrics combine with the music. And you're sort of taken on this journey where you're definitely in that moment of loss. You're definitely feeling it with the way that she vocalizes and the tones, all these things, expressions. But I think there's sort of a sweetness to it. Like you almost, it's not self, like you can feel that it was a beautiful thing she lost. And a lot of that music is kind of carrying you in this moment of almost um, gratitude. And, and, and that's what makes the loss so hard, you know? You're grateful to have had it, and the loss of it is just entirely destructive. I really love music for the reasons that it is so up to the listener in in so many instances to interpret and take away from it what they will. And the things that you guys pulled from that song are about as far away from what... Mr. Reynolds said that song was about that it could get. Uh, we what did he say it was about? He did not. Ta- he didn't tap into the loss. All he could really do was criticize the lyrics and the sappiness, and saying that it's really kind of a song about a relationship that was like two months long, and she should look for somebody better that she doesn't have to baby because he was such a psychotic mess the whole time because <laughs> he's clearly like crying all the time. To wipe away his right. tears, he's screaming all the time. She's got to wipe, you know, so, you know, soothe his fears. And I think that he missed a good portion of what the song was about, at least to you guys. And I think to me, it's a, it's about loss. It's not about the coddling of that relationship. Well, that clearly, was happening. It feels like yeah. he's sad. I think he's going for the joke or for the laugh. Okay, or something, dude. Yeah, he's but not good at it. <laughs> the the thing about this and it kind of reflecting in the music and the lyrics and it kind of tying together in a whole it's different from those others and I think even with time modern music does reflect better the content of the lyrics we're listening to those older jams and they just don't they don't hit home the emotional impact isn't there and I think that's one of the beauties of art it seems to evolve with time as well, we get better at communicating these things. And I think the music does it. The voice does it. Yeah. We are getting better at expressing ourselves. I don't know. I, at 17, I really liked that song. That's why I started looking up more information on the artist because I like that song. song. No, no, it's not bad. I think it's a great song. I mean, it's definitely from a different generation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not necessarily one that I would compare with uh, my immortal. You know, if I was to choose between the two, I I would go with my immortal every time. But that's that's what appeals to me more. But I did like the other song, and I think it's just a matter of like the other know, these things. More to me, this uh, the, this one sounded much more like. Well, this it, one I think seems more genuine. My mm-hmm. personal experience to run in parallel. Right. She does a great job. That that uh, that soprano and then with the the swelling strings and the pianos. Charlie, you while we were listening, you had a comment on the harmonies. Yeah, come back to that. I, I I kind of feel when I listen to her sing, there's two things. Uh, it, when she hits that main chorus drop and then runs into the piano, like that somber piano, um, that little four or five bars reminds me of. 
It reminds me of an old Enya song. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. And I'm telling you, if you listen to their voices, there's some parallels, even though the they're just incomparable in every other which, fashion. Which Enya song? I will I will find it for you. But okay, it's, uh, it's, here it's, just, uh, it's just the tune. It's just the tune in that little area. There's a song that kind of fits in that same tune. So the reason it makes me laugh is because I think she... It feels like she's inspired by some of that. You know, you never know what people listen to. And mm-hmm. uh, and the second thing is, is that she does have sort of that, like in the way that she carries the song. If you listen to some, like listen to three songs off of Enya's uh, music back in the 80, late 80s, 90s, and I think you're going to get a lot of similar sounding vocals. You know what I mean? Like it, it almost feels... Uh, uh, in the same, bo- and look, that that woman had a great voice. I mean, look, how do you, how else did she make a weird song, a a pop forty hit? Orinoco Flow was out there forever. <laughs> what? Okay. Are you? Gonna- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not. No, you know what? It, you know what? It just it just reminds me that there is a phenomenon in psychology, and I forget what it's called, but it's where an artist will hear another artist's work and without realizing it they will write or compose a song that is very similar there's to a name for that heard. there is a name for that and i don't recall i don't remember now what it's, it's called, called copyright but, it's called <laughs> right it's called... right but actually because uh one of the beatles uh george harrison uh was guilty of it with one of one of the songs that he he did like it was basically he copied someone else's song called plagiarism and, that's the well, terminology for it i'm just kidding no but he there is there is something – I wish I could remember what it's called, but there is a term for it. I believe you, and let me tell you uh, why. Because when I was 14, I, think it's I wrote Black – Vanillaism? No, it's not Millie Vanillaism. But when I was 14, I wrote Black Sabbath's uh, song, uh, Supernaut. Really? Until yeah. I realized what it was. I was like playing it. And I'm like, man, this is great. What a great riff I've come up with. This is awesome. And then I, it dawned on me. I'm like, wait a minute. This is this is all coming together a little too easily. And then I heard I heard the song. I was like, oh yeah, that's. I still good. feel like I missed an opportunity to pursue legal action against Jamiroquai for Can't Heat. I felt like I had that song way before he did. He just performed it better and it like had more contacts. It's so rigged. It's, it's so such fair. a it's a runaround, man. <laughs> so I want your guys opinion on this or just like reflect on this a little bit for me because I'm going to put myself out there, but that's what this process is kind of about honesty. Let's get it out there. Let's talk about it. I don't like that song. My immortal, my immortal. I don't like it. Uh, Now listen to what I have to say about that. I don't know why I don't like it. And maybe it's because I don't like the rest of the album. Maybe it's because everything that Evanescence released after that, she's got a beautiful voice. She's very skilled, she very talented, but she doesn't emote throughout the rest of the album and the other uh, the other songs that I heard of theirs. I don't know what she's done since. So for me, I just I when I heard this song originally, I was like, wow, really impressed me. And then the rest of it kind of got to be the same, the same, the same. And then I completely wrote them off. This is what I want to say about it. I don't like that song, but I cannot help but have an emotional response to it. So uh, one part of me is definitely identifying and appreciating and liking it because when I hear that song, I get, I can get those music chills. I can feel what she's feeling. 
I get, I think about the losses in my life and I really identify, but I, I don't really like it. And I'm not a big fan of what they do, even though I can appreciate her skill as a, as a vocalist. Uh, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that really is. It just some type of music snobbery in me. And it's okay. You can say, yes, Mitch, it's music snobbery that you don't like Evanescence, but I don't know why I'm not a fan when that, that song is very moving. And to deny that I think is to just be a liar. I wouldn't say it's music snobbery. (laughs) I mean, you know, we all have, we all have our, our different tastes and, you know, who can like different reasons for not liking things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike, I agree I, I with you can... for one thing, your opinions are wrong. And uh, <laughs> I think we all know it, and I think we should just stop dancing around. Okay, the Barry. <laughs> thanks a lot. Well Wasn't okay. that uh wasn't it Barry from High Fidelity who's like Oh yes, you know, yeah. they're in the in the record shop and they're arguing? <laughs> yes. He's yes. like they're like, How can an opinion be wrong? Well, he's got the wrong opinion. How can you stating a preference be wrong? <laughs> yeah. Right, how can stating a preference be wrong? Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is incorrect. Oh, okay. Well, anyways, mm-hmm. I just thought I had to share that because I find it like kind of an interesting flash in my own mind and my own psyche that I that I have a hard time overcoming and, and relinquishing the fact that I can not like something but still on some level appreciate it and and it affects me the way I mean, that I should like it. I should, but I don't. I'm I not a fan. To what I was saying earlier about it, 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 there's an ethereal quality to that song mm-hmm. that takes you if you've had any kind of loss it will invoke a reaction even if it's a small one you don't have to like the song right Mm -hmm. it's a good it's a good impact of the lyrics and the vocals the use of the voice the inflection the music to pair with it it takes you um well and you don't have to like the artist to appreciate one song true okay I feel I feel a little bit better. Thanks, guys. I'm gonna disagree just because it's fun. Uh, okay, just well, totally. Disagree. Just take the other point. <laughs> Let's. Uh... No, I agree with Mike. I, I mean, I think that there's differing. Those are obviously there's subtle differences all over the place. I think people. And I'll tell you, like, one way or the other, but, on a uh, subconscious, very uh, I'm afraid of comment on it. I'm worried sometimes that this thing that I've invested so much faith in. And loving is more science than I think. And it's not as spiritual as I think because I feel like I'm being manipulated by that song because I'm moved by it and I don't like it, but it does it anyway. So I think that they happen to have combined the right notes, combined the right lyrics, combined the right tones, and it's evoking an emotional reaction out of me unbidden and unwelcome. And that's that makes me feel like it makes me feel like a fraud. So I, I think manipulation's fair if you're looking at it as strictly a descriptive like i don't want to i don't want to like i don't think anybody's um with any kind of evil or malicious intent trying to manipulate you into something you don't want to do i think it's kind of a subtle difference between manipulation and coercion Mm -hmm. right you could be coerced into something because you have vulnerabilities and susceptibilities and i think that's it's a disarming song Mm -hmm. whether you love it or not it's it's you can it's not even that you really have to appreciate it from a point of view of saying oh it's a good song it's effective. Mm-hmm. It's you, effective. Know, you know, that makes me, Mitch's yeah, comment yeah. makes me think of something I read about a, a horror movie director. And mm-hmm. I can't remember who it is, but I think he's a foreign horror movie, dire- horror movie director who puts sounds, certain sounds into his movies hmm. specifically to make the audience feel nauseous, to affect the audience on a level, hmm. to kind of gross them out without grossing them out. 
Oh man, he's playing with the brown note. Playing with the brown note. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not on that level. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I do think that there's some quality about that though, and I don't, I, I don't, I think that was worth like we should revisit that that intuitive gut reaction that makes you uncomfortable and almost makes you want to reject it. I think there's a lot to that that comes from just our evolution as creatures, like mm-hmm. our tribalism. We understand when people are angry and and intense in or uncomfortable or sad, just mm. even when they aren't directly displaying it. There are a lot of those those uh, that communication that's nonverbal, non non verbatim. Like it's in the expression, it's in the tone of the voice, it's in you know a lot of those decisions. And if we're using that Saga's example, she is very effective at invoking those things out of you and she's speaking she's uh singing the song in a first person perspective where there's moments where you feel like you're it's your song Mm -hmm. you kind of become the her voice is invoking something within you and that's what feels you know disarm almost a uh nude in front of the class you know exposing well i think like mitch said too if you've had uh, a loss or anything like that in your life like some of these lyrics i think can can be a- applicable to many people um just because of some of the some of the things they talk about in the in the song i think everybody knows what that feels like that's all i think I, i'm getting at like even if he's right when he says that she's complaining about a relationship that was only two months old i mean we remember Probably fondly where there were relationships we were in that were, you know, six weeks old and Mm -hmm. we were just, I'm in love. So intense. Because you don't know what those feelings are. You're Mm -hmm. still very new to them. You don't know the power they have over you. You don't know. And that loss is amplified through that lens, right? Like it's hard to lose people, but when you've never had anybody and then you have a really intense relationship or you connect with somebody in a way that you hadn't connected before two months can be two months is not really indicative of 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 i think it's more than two months just because in the song it says all of these years years. okay i agree oh there you go no you totally disrail his guy saying that though is that if he's thinking even about that relationship yeah you know so what you know i was also listening to it thinking about like well where was i in this time of my life maybe it's evoking these emotions on this level that i'm not recognizing but it's 2003 I was in a good place. Uh, I was in a new relationship, so I was in that happy, happy time. You know, I was not in a bad place when this song came. 2003 is when I came in working for, uh, didn't I come in to work for GameStop around that oh, time? There you go. That's it. That's the that's that's it. That was a that's, terrible that's, time. That's the moment. All right. Next track on our list of I Hate Myself and Want to Die. The track is It Must Be Him, 1967, Vicky Carr. We're going to drop that track here in three, two, one, and you guys listen along if you can. Ready? Three, two, one, and go. Hit play on your eight track now. This sounds more like a musical, uh, like a stage musical song. Like a Broadway yes, musical yeah. kind of song, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a Hollywood musical. This is what Maria sings after she gets away from West Side Story. <laughs> Honestly, this song made me start thinking of Shakespeare because I'm like, <laughs> like this would be like, like Juliet would sing this song 
in regards to Romeo okay. or something. I get that. I feel like this is again it's that song for that generation. This is sixty seven, right? And then I die. But it's sixty seven, right? Yeah. So this is the era of when divorce and the new Catholic religion is sort of taking We're on over the brink America. of summer of love. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, marriages are falling apart. This is a song for the conservative woman whose husband is gone. You see what I'm saying? You'll never hurt me anymore. I say, don't be a chump. I'm not a puppet. I'm not a chump. (laughs) I'll show him key parties. Well, and when she says, I'm not a chump, I immediately thought of Who Framed Roger Rabbit when (laughs) uh, Eddie gets thrown out of the bar. And he's like, what are you you looking at, chump? The big gorilla. He's like, who are you calling a chump, chimp? I don't know why, but that's what I thought of. She delivers it with such earnest longing, though. It's Oh, I can sense some longing. <laughs> this is a woman, though. This isn't a girl who's, <laughs> who's destroyed, right? This is a woman. This is like, I am woman, hear me roar. I'm not beaten down because you left me. I'm not a chump. I'm going to show you I'm not a puppet. This is all about proclamation. I'm, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. See, I'm not so sure about the woman hear me roar part because I think this song is about as non-feminism as it gets. This is I agree with I agree with Mitch on that part because she's not like taking control of anything. No. She is just like like all, her whole life swirls around the fact that this guy has got to be the one. She wishes she was like that man. That's it's why anti-feminist. Saying, that's it's why very she's anti-feminist. But she wishes she was like that, and she isn't. And that's why she she's having this duality in her conversation. She's making these. She wants. She's aspiring. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not necessarily what she is. That's why I say, "Don't mm-hmm. be a chump." Can I show you? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't get that at all. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> I what I mean. Yeah, it's just here. She's like, "I'm not a puppet on a string. I'll find someone else someday." That's when the phone rings, and once again, I start to pray. So she's just caving at every possible turn. It's really sad. So in this way, this song yeah. is incredibly sad. This is so to, maybe to more me, sad than is, one. But to me, this is the this is the 25-year-old woman in 1967 who has maybe a kid or two. Husband is kind of off and on. He's not really dependable. He's a you know, Flanderer, and there's an identity crisis going on at the time. I just feel like this is the voice of a person who wants to be more than she is, wants to be stronger than she is, wants to be tougher than she is, doesn't want to be used, doesn't want to be taken advantage of, and wants to be, wants to put on that front. I'm not going to, again, well, she's, I think it's in those lyrics. Like, she I think might the, want the kids and family. <laughs> she she might the want kids. the kids and family, but she doesn't have them. It even says, play the field, have a lot of fun. Yeah, She's true. single. She's single. She's not married. My relationship's done. She's not settled down. She wants to be settled down. necessarily means she's single. He means he wants she to want, be No, no. She wants to be settled down, but she's not. That's why she wants it to be him. She Like, this is her last chance at love, maybe. I don't know. Or she thinks no. it's her last chance. She doesn't know how to turn away from the guy. She's in an, an unhealthy, toxic relationship. She's... She wants to be better. And she's not. I'm telling you, she wants to see she was stronger and she's not. 
like I said, when I was listening to this song, I immediately thought of Romeo and Juliet. I'm like, this is Juliet on Broadway singing this song in somebody's New World interpretation of. But don't you think that's Juliet? Of Juliet Romeo and Juliet. And oh yeah, totally Juliet. But she was she was like a young teenage girl though, and she was she was single. She wasn't attached to Romeo. They weren't married. There weren't no kids. But she she decided she needed to kill herself. That's not someone saying she, she clearly was misused by a man. I mean, it's reference right there. Don't be everything is in those lyrics about her history with men, this man, and he keeps giving him another chance. She cannot kick this, she cannot kick the zero and find a hero, but she wished she was the kind of woman that could. And in trying to coach herself up to it, she's saying she's identifying with a lot of the women that were around at that time. I really believe that. Just saying. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I mean, I I won't deny that maybe she's in a bad relationship. We're three men trying to ponder the I know. <laughs> we have could women. We be, yeah. we, yeah, could we be less qualified? Be yeah. We we are we are doggy paddling in the deep end of the pool here. Is what yeah, we're doing. we should add uh, to other people what this woman was really saying about. Let's put that out to right. the audience. What was really <laughs> happening here? The part that worries me a lot about this and the message that she's sending is when she goes to pick up the phone and she's praying that it's him. She's everything is riding on it. And it's not. Then I die. I'm dead. Like, it's just so, like, if it's not him, I'm just dead. Yeah. Without like, him, so I'm dead. So dramatic. And I but get, don't you know, you've known these people, right? The girl who's with this guy who's abusive and horrible. And she keeps going back to him because she thinks he's going to change. Yeah. Well, wait, wait. Yeah. See, I agree with that part. Like, I think she's single. She's in a relationship. She wants this to be the guy, but he keeps dragging her along. But she's single. Oh, absolutely. She tells herself to play the field. She tells herself because she can't get away from the guy. She's only. If she's in a marriage, if she's in a relationship, she's not going to be playing the field. If she's married, she's not going to be playing the field. In 1967, the dudes were out there fornicating, and there were women who were sitting there with themselves thinking, I should go and see other people too, but they couldn't. I'm telling you. Right. This is but I'm saying she's not married. That's all I'm saying. She's not married. She's single. Oh, okay. But she's in a, in a relationship she's where the guy's stringing her along. Record. She's single. Filing Single, alone. yes. <laughs> okay. So yeah. We now know how her IRS. I'm telling you, man. Juliet. Juliet in love with Romeo. I I think I think this is this. I think there's more to it. I'm just going to say that. My, my thoughts are that, that at that time, there was a lot of women in the situation where they had a relationship they wanted more of. There's a lot of it now. And the guy was. Well, I wouldn't know. I'm not as old as you, Charlie. <laughs> When's your birthday? Uh, so what was the other song we're looking at here, Mitch? Nobody's, nobody's old here. We're all young and virile and full of life. I'm hip. And we're hip. Uh, <laughs> but not hipsters. Right. No, like him, like better off dead, right off. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, Cusack. I love Cusack. The next song on our "I Hate Myself and Want to Die" track list is one from 1989's "And Justice for All." And the band is Metallica. This is the one I don't think fits in with the other four songs. Let's go. I still think that it can, and we're going to listen to this song, and you out there can uh, make your own judgments on that, and we're going to weigh in here in a second, listen along, and it's happy playtime. Yay. Three. Cue up your eight tracks. Two. 
no it's a it's a great song i love it like i said i don't see how it fits in with the other four i definitely agree though it should be in this book i think it fits in with the other four almost as the quintessential of the these and you'll get to hear my reasoning for that shortly I guess. <laughs> I guess. If you can show me the love, st- I, if you can show me the love story in this one, there's no love story. There's no. There's no prerequisite to a love story. But the others were more about love. But the loss the, of love. The, the main thoroughfare of it is. Uh, I hate myself. I hate, I I hate myself. I want to die. Their problems are so bad that they want to die. See, I don't know that this one so much as I hate myself as much as I hate my situation. And the situation he's in is horrible. Might be. That's a that's a good discussion, yeah. Should we, should we keep going? The yeah, darkness well, imprisoning think, me? Yeah. Or do we all know this? No, I know I like this. Okay. All right. Because I think there's, end bit is good. there's a thin line between I hate my life and I hate myself, right? I mean, you, you see where I'm getting at, though? All right, what are you saying, Charlie? There's a thin line between I hate myself and I hate my life. Yeah, like you're talking sure. about the situation being terrible. It's like, you know, if you hate well, the other, life, the other songs, the other four, like I said, I think they, they were talking about love, which is one reason why I don't think this one fits in with those other four. Mm-hmm. But when the title of the chapter is I hate myself and I want to die, like this one, I don't feel like he hates himself. He hates the situation he's in, being that he's trapped in his own body. And, you know, basically like a vegetable, but he can think and hear and tell all these things are going on mm-hmm. around him and can't communicate with anybody all and true. wishes that his torture would end. Very true. But and that's that's different from someone who's like, you know, like the previous song is like just, you know, somebody who's like crazy in love and hopes that that person that they're in love with is going to be the one. But when that person, if they're not certain that that's the one, they might just like end things. That's different than like someone who's like this song been to war. And because of the war was placed in this situation. See that what so, I think about with, with that, what you're saying there or the, your first uh, argument about the, the love situation. I think that that argument makes it even less about, I hate myself and want to die. That's, that's more, I'm so miserable. I want to die. I'm so sad. I'd rather be dead than be this sad. So my mm-hmm. and just just my reading on this song, particularly as it fits into this chapter, uh, I don't think that there's a big enough difference between someone who might hate themselves, say, for being uh, too skinny or being too freckly or being short like myself. You hate yourself, even though it's not your fault. It has nothing to do with there. Are so especially when you talk about like teen angst, which is part of these other songs as well. This isn't teen angst, but I'm just saying that you can hate yourself. Or something that has nothing to do with you. You wouldn't know anything about this, Arvig, being the confident and striking figure that you are. You don't know what it's like. <laughs> but shut up, you know, Charlie. Adonis, you gave know, a new ringer example of, of of mankind. But hating yourself doesn't have to be from external sources. It doesn't have to be from you know some type of psychological lacking this man is in such misery and hates like you said he hates the situation but he hates himself he hates what he has become which is you know and he wants to die and i think that this is kind of right on brand with that title but can can i can i i think if you take it as a literal 
like let's take the term self, right? Okay. Let's take it blunt literally. Like I hate my self. Self. I hate my body. I hate my my body is my prison. I hate my prison. I hate myself. You see what I'm saying? It's not the same kind of I hate the self-loathing where I'm a I'm 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 wallowing in my own loss and and absent of knowing that these people can still run and eat, breathe, do normal things, right? Right. They're not. They're not in that same perception of I hate myself. Like those people. Okay. I, I guess if you, I'm not good enough. <laughs> if you look at it from that I perspective myself, of self, then yes, I guess I could see that. Yeah. But I still say that's in direct contention with the other songs. Sure. And the other songs, like they still had control. You know, they have to. They have control. They need to take control of their mental faculties. Whereas this person in one is in a prison, not by, you know, went out and served his country, stepped on a landmine, ends up in a prison. His body is a prison. And that's from I external sources. Myself. I mean, think mm-hmm. about what. His right. No, no. I, I agree. Or, like if you, if you define self like that, yet. self as in my body, then yes, I could see that. But I still don't think that that's necessarily. It could be he, argued the second self he was given. The first one he was given by God he liked. The second one he was given by war and he hated it. I don't want to be too meta in my reading of it, but having read the, the book as well, thinking about who he becomes while he's trapped within himself. He, Which book? Uh, Johnny Got His Gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, yeah, sorry, I should have been more clear there. Having read that, and the person that he becomes whilst trapped in that body, like even psychologically, he begins to hate himself and he hates the situation and he hates what he's basically become, just longing for the touch of his nurse, you know, and even that begins to disgust him. Everything just gets so soured. And I, I could, oh, it's, it's painful. If, if you haven't, to the listeners, if you really want to bum yourself out, but you want to get a, a great read, uh, check it out. It's really, there's a scene where the general spoilers, spoiler alert, they come in once they realize that he's conscious and he's trying to connect with the outside world. They have a little ceremony and they come in and they pin a medal on his chest. And when he recognizes that that's what's happening, oh, just the rage that he feels that they would dare do something like that. It's really, it's really a great read, powerful read. I think formed a lot of my feelings about war and, and uh, service a lot as a young kid. And you said kid. that one was based in World War II? Uh, I, you know, thinking about the book itself, I don't know that the war is ever even specifically mentioned. It may actually be written about World War One, but came out during World War Two. And Trumbo was blacklisted during uh, the Red Scare, and he actually wrote and directed the movie as well. Um, but good, good stuff. Definitely thought provoking. You know, when I was a kid, I like it. When I was a kid, and I first heard that song, like I first thought that it was somebody. Like I imagined a veteran coming back from the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And it was probably just because that was the more most recent war to my memory at the time. Uh, as far as like you know, like soldiers, any, any war, any yeah, any, any war, any time. Yeah, it really would. I mean, it would apply Korea, to any any war. But... Korea, Vietnam. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the, the, it, I think I think it just makes a statement about what some men leave, what they give up. Mm-hmm. Nothing to, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. 
but it's it's definitely a sad song. I think it's a it worthy a inclusion song. in the book that we're talking about. The I hate myself and I want to die. Like I definitely think it's one of those sad, depressing songs that would, you know, lend itself to that. But like I said, when I think of this song and when I listen to it, when I hear the lyrics, I feel like if this person's situation wasn't what it was, like if this person had control physically, they would probably be out singing like happy songs. Sure. You know, like Life Would Be Roses. Uh, but Maybe. in this situation, I recognize your argument. I, I, I think that it's very valid. I, I'm just like, oof, it's, it's a rough song, no matter how you. Cut oh, it is. It is. No matter how you slice it. And, yeah, it's in tone, intonation, yeah. uh, inflection of the voice, the instruments behind it. It, it creates a, a, a guttural sort of feel that I, I mean, this is where I think there's more to musicians than some people are capable of appreciating right off the bat if they maybe they're not music fans whatever weird person that might be but even if it's a genre of music that you don't necessarily like a lot of people wouldn't would reject whatever that song was about and wouldn't even try to listen to the lyrics the minute they started hearing the the just the two you know they would sort of embody what kind of like i said before they would have an interpretation of the emotions that are being invoked from them just based on the the arrangement of the instruments and the music and then his voice right mm-hmm. before they even got to lyric where they got to where they they saw or heard what it was about and i think that he captures something about that that um there's an, there's an emotional invocation there that is unique and very hard to capture and i think if you felt anything like it and a lot of people clearly did. They attached themselves to that particular brand of expression. And it's 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 like any weird combination, like dry humor. You know, it's it's a, a weird combination of an, an interesting way to express oneself. That I just think it's interesting the way we're jumping around in these different decades and we're seeing different ways to deliver these messages. And I think it's cool to challenge ourselves into where we're trying to examine how they meant the word self. You know, I, I think yeah. there's some there's some important illustration to that because it'll it'll make you listen to a song twice. Mm-hmm. You know, and try to discern, well maybe I missed that. Maybe I shouldn't think of it this way. Or maybe, you know, and, and for for all its intents and purposes, the book accomplishes that. You know, and hopefully that's what people are gaining from listening to the music with us. Mm-hmm. Uh is that, you know, they they can have their interpretation and maybe examine some of their initial reactions or maybe they want to turn off the music. Maybe they turn off the car. Oh, if they turn off that song. Right. right. Well, 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 no, no, this, not, this song, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love. I, love I had to song. listen to it, but, but yeah, but like the carpenters, Oh my gosh, it was so hard to make it through. <laughs> and I, I made myself listen to it twice. Cause I'm like, after the first time, I'm like, you know what? I'll give it a couple days. I'll listen to it again and see if I still feel the same. And yes, it was like, it was like, I don't know. Thanks for putting in the work, I think we all appreciate it. We appreciate it here, and the listeners at home appreciate you putting in that work because you can come at it from an honest place. Thank you. Thanks. But yeah, that song builds and builds and builds. The music behind it, you can feel the urgency and the rage and the anger and the the desperation. Man, I love that track. I love that track. I mean, tell me at this perspective in 2020, listening to that song, he sounds young. Doesn't he? I feel so young. Yeah, when he was singing it, yeah, just can't you hear it a little bit? 
it doesn't have you know there's some there's some quality there of youth uh maybe i wasn't listening to it in that that way i'm gonna, I guess. I'm gonna take another listen to it but i love i love that song i love that album a lot of people have that's criticized a great album. it's really that's great great it's album. really cold it's really it's really clinical almost but it's still so mm-hmm. powerful and it's got some of the best metal tracks of all time what year what year are we talking 87 88 89 yeah i think the album released 88 that song came out in 89 time what's going on in 88 right i mean that's like that song really is a ballsy thing to put out in 1988 right when everything else is uh, nothing but a good time well just the you know old oh, remember, uh, mm-hmm. hot looking for nothing but a good time nothing but a good time and then something like yeah. that drops hyper from genera the was video that? was incredibly powerful like wow oh, man that that yeah. changed videos i feel for kids well, that, out there, that actually had scenes from the movie, right? Yes, and they had to yep. pay quite a bit to get those scenes, didn't they? I imagine they probably did, or maybe they didn't have to pay anything since nobody had heard or seen that movie in decades and didn't pay attention to it anymore. But yeah, Jason Robards was the dad in the movie. Uh, he did. A, oh, that's right. Yeah, I really loved him in Dream a Little Dream. Just a side note, wow, one of my favorite. Love movies. that movie. Wow. It was uh, great, great, great track, and the solo is incredible. I just, I don't want to gush too much, but I love that one, and it is incredibly sad. And it's another one that, in, what's that? Is that this guy? Would he do that with the 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 long haired dude in Dream a Little Dream? Um, it was not a not an important character, not one of the Corys. He was an ancillary character, almost like the. Oh. You remember he was Joel, like, Joel, 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 crazy Joel. Joel. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I remember. Yes, <laughs> yes, I Joel, fingers. crazy Joel. Yeah, you remember the fingers? Yeah. Oh man, I love that movie. I searched for that when I went to college. I tried to find it on VHS, and it was like a hundred and twenty dollars. This is before DVDs hit, and from finding like VHS tapes because it wasn't like. Released. Are you serious? I am so serious because I wanted that movie so badly. I almost paid that. But there the, were some strange conceptual films at that time, right? <laughs> Dreamy Little Dream, Flatliners. That was a crazy Ooh, one. I mean, you know, Never saw the new the, one. I'm afraid to. Oh, it's not. It's not. It's just take with the old one. You're better off, I think. Gentlemen, I've, I have taken up two hours of your time. This went longer than it should have. I think we took too long at the no, beginning. No, it's good. You but, can edit it down. But this I, well, I'm, not worried about the, I'm not worried about the edit. I'm just worried about taking up your time. But, oh, okay. uh, yeah, so... Um, did you guys have something else on one? Anybody else on one? Mm-mm. Okay. I think we captured it. All right. So that brings us now to the end of our chapter on, I hate myself and want to die. I'm sorry. Want to die. There's no wanna. I keep wanting to keep wanting to say wanna, but it's want to die. Yeah, that I, th- I think very popular. Yeah. Wanna, wanna, wanna. Wanna, wanna, wanna. <laughs> I think I hate myself and want to die is a little bit more impactful, uh, but my honorable mentions are as follows. Fade to Black, 1984. Again, another Metallica track. I don't think there's another song that is more I hate myself and want to die. The whole track is I hate myself and want to die. Yeah. I would agree with that. That's pretty straight up. That's a great assessment. (laughs) Uh, Also, I put down Creep, 1992 Radiohead. All Radiohead. I freak all Radiohead. (laughs) They're all on there. I'm a weirdo. Uh, what am I doing here? Uh, it feels a little bit disenfranchised. This is where Mike says he never saw what the big deal was about Radiohead. I'm waiting for it. What? 
Well, I like Radiohead. <laughs> okay. And then my final uh, honorable mention is The Smiths. I know it's over. Oh, yeah. Wow. And nice. I, I want to drop the lyrics on you real quick, guys, just because it's it's so this is the ultimate in self-pity. This reflects a little this is a little bit closer to the first couple tracks of kind of wallowy, but the lines are if you're so funny, then why are you on your own tonight? If you're so clever, then why are you on your own tonight? If you're so very entertaining, then why are you on your own tonight? If you're so very good looking, why do you sleep alone tonight? I know, because tonight is just like any other night. That's why you're on your own tonight, with your triumphs and your charms while they're in each other's arms. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So that's reflecting, oh, you're, you know, this guy, he's so full of himself. He thinks he's so great and so wonderful and so everything and just the bees, knees, and the cat's pajamas. Oh, but if you really are, then why is she out with him? You must suck. Talking to himself. I love that one. Great, great one. That's, that's pretty a good. One. good. That's nice. pretty great. We could do any Smiths. You got to get some Smiths. <laughs> just um, drop any Smith lyric in there. There's a Peter well, Gabriel song called Don't Give Up that's really morose and sad. I used to love when I was a kid. That and I, I, I'll have to, yeah, it's 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 more that he, again, it's a duet, and I forget the name of his, the woman he sings the song with, but, you know, his is very, his part of the song, part of the duet is extremely down and sad, and she's sort of that. Uh, angelic don't give up you know you've got friends and shit and, but it was still one of those if you were in pain it's one of those songs i was drawn to i was 13 or 12 at the time so pretty painful time yeah i think so confusing especially if you're moving around a lot at that time yeah. i was moving around a lot so arvig do you tough. have any uh, honorable mentions you know, I honestly don't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't honestly think to uh, to look up any honorable mentions, and quite honestly, nothing comes to mind, especially after your uh, your list there. Wow, well done, sir. Oh, you're not gonna throw some white snake in there for us. Uh, I can't think of a white snake song that would be appropriate for this. Maybe as an addendum, when all these chapters are done, we're gonna do a get psyched list of the happiest songs. Get psyched songs. mix. Yeah, a get psyched. There mix. we go. Uh, we'll close out yes. the, the whole chapters and all the 52 songs. Now we've made it through, what, like seven? We've got a long way to go. It's going to be a journey of tears. Get your Kleenexes ready. Not for that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, we will definitely uh, reflect on some of that as we go along. Uh, for Ruminations from the Red Room, I've been your morose host, Mitch Proctor. Mike. Thanks for having me on, brother. I have had a great time. This has been a lot of fun. Charlie. Yeah, uh, you know, I really think it's a cool activity to just get everyone to listen to these songs, kind of hear what we have to say, and then make up their own minds. I think it's great to explore music like this and give people an opportunity to get a fresh perspective. Good luck making it through the carpenters. Fun, man. <laughs> I'm with you. I think that it's been kind of cathartic. These are sad songs, and these are sad, you know to a degree some sad times but I think we get together we can laugh about it a little bit and we can look inward and outward and be there for each other yeah love it bye yeah. everybody uh, alright and with that let a smile be your umbrella thank you